Hi everyone and welcome to the FinTech podcast. So today I'm joined by Konstantin. Um, I'll let him introduce himself but today he's going to talk to us all about FinTech um, and I hope you enjoy. So for starters, please could you introduce yourself and explain your current job role? Um, hi Emily, thank you very much for having me. Uh, my name is Konstantin, as you've mentioned already. I work for one of the leading cryptocurrency exchanges called CXIO. And my official title is Executive Director. I'm in charge of uh, institutional sales, um, partnerships, and, and B2B relations of, of our business. Lovely. And could you tell me a bit about um, your company and what your company's mission is? So we are one of the longest running cryptocurrency exchanges. We were established in 2013. Um, so have been on the market for quite a long time. Um, in that time, we, we've grown to become a pretty much worldwide institution by now. And the latest addition to that will be or is already our new office in Singapore, which uh, hopefully in 2021 will, will come to full force. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we uh, offer very seamless and easy um, and trustworthy way of um, investing into cryptocurrencies. Amazing. So your job title, you overlook the company's development strategy. Uh, do your skills from your previous jobs help with this and how? Uh, yes, I would say so. Um, so I think to answer this question, I'd like to explain it a little bit about my backgrounds. My, my first education is um, an engineering degree. Uh, for many, many years, I, I used to be an electronics engineer de developing various uh, in what's called embedded software or embedded products. From then on, I moved to, to lead um, technical teams and then uh, ultimately became a CTO of quite a large um, international organization. In that role, I was uh, leading commercial, commercial initiatives and, um, and, and negotiations with uh, various B2B opportunities in the market. And essentially, though this um, cryptocurrency world is a different industry, the relationships, uh, the relationship building and, and uh, the way the business is done is very, very similar. So I, I guess this is my, my strong points, the, the B2B and the corporate world experience. In addition to that, there's, uh, in terms of my connection to, to cryptocurrencies and how I got in, introduced into blockchain is, is via a, um, a project I used to be, I was involved with while at uh, my executive MBA at Cambridge. And um, I fell in love with the technical capabilities of blockchain and, and blockchain technology in general. And ever since I wanted to, to make the jump to the industry. So about six months ago that that happened and I'm very happy where I am. Awesome. And just curious, um, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin hasn't really been around a long time. Do you know anything like when, this, when these words started coming about? Because it's quite a new thing still, isn't it? It still is, yes, I would say so. I, I'm, if, if you speak with people who have been in the industry, they would say that um, it's a very well-evolved industry by now. Mm -hmm. However, if you asked um, an ordinary citizen, an ordinary person on the street, um, I, would, I would guess that still the majority of people have heard about it, but don't really understand what it means. Um, one thing to bear in mind is in cryptocurrency, the, the pace of the pace of innovation is so high that it's essentially gone from a non-existent technology to 
getting very close to mass adoption in well, less than, I guess, less than uh, 15 years. Yeah, that's definitely something crazy. And it's a, it's a brilliant industry to be involved in, isn't it, at the minute, yeah. especially with um, the rise of technology and everything going online. So along from that, how important is transparency of data in cryptocurrency transactions? Yes, so this is, this is a very interesting question, Emily. So a, a lot of, um, I think one of the major misconceptions about cryptocurrencies and uh, the, uh, the best known of those, which is Bitcoin, is that everything is completely untraceable and anonymous. And indeed, the, the initial ideas behind cryptocurrencies were that um, no cryptocurrency would be in any way uh, connected or controlled by any government or state. And that's, that's the whole, that's one of the innovations that the, uh, the cryptocurrencies bring, I would say. Uh, what many people don't understand is that the way things have evolved by now is that cryptocurrencies offer um, privacy, but not necessarily anonymity. So a lot, of, a lot of the transactions are actually very traceable and in many ways better traceable than in traditional finance and definitely much better traceable than cash. Um, however, only under specific conditions, those traceability and, and that traceability may become available. So all your data is kept anonymously and you can stay anonymous unless there's a reason for it to become public information or um, I wouldn't say public, actually, uh, for it to become available to other third parties. Yeah, and how important is data to maybe like a everyday consumer? How do people consider this a lot, or is this more of a company um, company idea? Um, I'd say that with what's been happening with Facebook and all of the other scandals around the world um, and data leaks and hacks, I'm, I'm really hopeful that people will realize that, uh, and this is my personal view, that we should all be um, in charge of our own data. Our data is our assets, and we should be able to control who has and who has not access to that. Um, in the, in the um, days before cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, that simply was not viable. Uh, there was no technology that would uh, allow mass markets um, control of data but with with technologies like blockchain it's actually take from the technology point of view from the um implementation point of view it's actually fairly easy um it would be fairly easy for everybody to to be their own data custodian for um, any services that you can think of it doesn't have to be just money it could be a medical records it could be anything that that is um that is identified with you as a person in the society. And um, I think this is one of the reasons why I was blown away by the technology. I could see how cryptocurrencies, though uh, being very well adopted at this point in time, I don't think this is the end of blockchain. I think this is a very much a beginning and um, the mass adoption will be way, way wider than just cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and that's really interesting, actually. Um, there was this documentary on Netflix recently called The Social Dilemma, and it was all about data. And I think it really um, opened a lot of people's eyes, like especially the wider audience, people who often don't think about their data, about you know how these big companies like can, can access it and how they handle it. Um, it's very interesting. I, I think yes. uh, it, it's something that should be maybe considered more by the public. But I, often I think doesn't. it will be. I, mm. I think we're, we're now in this paradigm where people 
start to realize um, actually how much value there is in data mm. and how um, other businesses can um, can utilize that value, can leverage that value to make profits out of it. Um, and um, I know the likes of Facebook and other businesses have been in the news, but don't forget other sectors like banking, traditional banking, your bank knows everything about you and they're not willing to share that with anybody else. So then you have this kind of... Um, the, the data representation is, as, is asymmetric mm -hmm. and that allows certain market players to have better control of the pricing and essentially control the market. And for the consumers, that is not a good thing in the, in the long term. So I'm hoping that over time and more and more people will realize that they would want to be in control of their data. And this is also substantiated by a lot of governments looking into central bank digital currencies. Uh, going away from uh, from cash to digital money, and all of these things will allow uh, everybody, uh, all all the people, to have better control about their data. Yeah, absolutely, and um, we'll touch on that more later. But what do you think needs to change for cryptocurrency to be adopted by the majority of the public? Okay, so the there need to be quite a few things that would need to. Uh, I would say progress. Um, mm -hmm. And first thing we need to understand is where cryptocurrencies are um, on the development scale. And then uh, especially in the last year and then the last three years before that, there's been tremendous leaps of progress. And there's a lot of, um, there's, there's many things which are, are already there as a basis for mass adoption and, and for integration with other banking sectors. Um, what I'd say needs to happen next, in my view, is um, a reasonable regulation, which is clear and definitive. And uh, we can see already that the, there's um, many great projects happening around the world with, with uh, standardizing cryptocurrency regulation, be it in the European Union, in the US, um, Canada is there, Japan has very uh, decisive rules and regulations about cryptocurrency. So I believe that this is the first step that needs to be finalized and implemented, which would allow banks and other financial institutions to treat cryptocurrencies as an asset class. And that would make the interaction between the traditional, traditional finance and cryptocurrency financial instruments much more seamless. In addition to that, being regulated means the uh, interests of the public are way better protected than if, a, if an industry is not regulated. And this means that there will be less scams, there will be less people losing money about because there are still some, um, it's, not, it's already not the Wild West as it used to be in the 2017, uh, but the pace of development is so high that the, kind of the, the price we all have to pay for that is new risky um, projects and instruments may come to the market. And hopefully with regulation, those would not be available immediately in the regulated jurisdictions, which means that ordinary people uh, can invest into, will be able to invest into cryptocurrencies with, without the worry of losing their funds. And, and again, we have to remember that already a lot of these things are in place. Like in the UK, there's the fifth anti-money laundering directive, which has been in place from uh, January this year, 2020. Uh, and it's already enforced. Um, there's, there's a set of other regulations around Europe and other parts of the world. The only problem now is, at this point in time, is the very much dispersed and 
and not um, not standardized. So for us as a market player, we have to be um, um, we have to spend a lot of time complying with all the different regulations and making sure that we um, we implement everything exactly uh, by the rule by the book of the law in all the jurisdictions that we are present and that that's a big administrative burden on the company um, so uh, this however doesn't really affect the the people the public who would want to invest i'd say in in many jurisdictions it's already fairly safe just make sure you you do go with a trusted uh, reputable supplier um, check if they're fca registered if it's in the uk or um, if it's the us they have the equivalent of that, for example. Um, however, because this is still not widely adopted, the banks don't really want to work with cryptocurrencies. So when you try and try and buy some cryptocurrencies, your bank may may um, classify your your card as a potential fraud transaction, and you may have to call your bank and uh, revert that. Um, and this is something we are not in control of, and nobody's really in control of, apart from the regulators. Once solid regulations in place, then banks would be able to open up those gates and, and um, without, without being afraid that there will be unreasonable amounts of fraud happening, um, they would be able to allow mass, the masses of people to use cryptocurrencies. Yes, so I'd say regulation and, and interconnectivity with uh, the existing financial sector are very, very important for mass adoption. The only third thing I'm, I'm just thinking about now, and we've touched on that already, is the central bank digital currencies, which in my mind, it is, that is not crucial for the adoption of cryptocurrencies as general, in general. However, when, the, for example, the Bank of England issues digital pounds, then the majority of people will have to shift their notion and understand of what money is. At this point in time, uh, many of my friends and my acquaintances who I speak with and mention cryptocurrencies would still feel very much uncertain as to what is the value of a cryptocurrency because it's not actually backed by gold or a state or anything. It, it's kind of um, essentially made out of thin air. It's, it's um, almost imaginary. Um, however, there's, there's many things in the world that are almost imaginary yet very, very useful. And, and our normal currencies are not far away from that. The British pound is not backed up by gold reserve, for, for example. Um, so I think it's, it's this perception of, of the public that the fact that you don't have a piece of paper that you hold in your hands is okay. The fact that you have a code on your mobile phone is okay because that still has the value of, of money or can, can hold the value of an asset. Um, so I, I'd say, in a nutshell, three things that I've, I've been through just now. Awesome. And I noticed you said at the start, actually, you said um, seamless. And do you think that the future of cryptocurrency depends on seamlessness between traditional banks and cryptocurrency? Is this something, is this a relationship that is essential? Um, it makes it easier for people who are not savvy to right. try and use this new instrument. Um, so for example, um, if, if for example, you were banking with HSBC and they gave you an option to buy Bitcoin, then a lot of people would probably try it. 
but because they don't, and actually when you try and buy a cryptocurrency, they may even block your card, or it doesn't have to be HSBC, the majority of banks would naturally think that that um, that may not be a legitimate transaction. Right. Um, and because of that, there's this friction involved, and you have to be quite determined to get through that friction, and you have to understand how the instruments work to even try it. And I, I feel that a lot of um, non-techie people and non-financial savvy people may just uh, be put away by that. They, right. they, not, they may lose their interest. Mm. Awesome. A great answer. Um, and moving on, I suppose I might challenge you a bit. So when do you think that the public will be able to purchase things such as a coffee with Bitcoin? And is it possible? This is a very interesting question. I, I think um, in addition to the challenges I've, I've talked about just now, which are the, th mm. the main three ones to come back to them, uh, regulation, um, interoperability with the um, wider financial sector, um, and, and the uh, wide acceptance of digital currencies as a means of exchanging value. In addition to that, there's also some technical issues with cryptocurrencies that may be um, may depend on the implementation of a specific cryptocurrency as to whether it's uh, fit for purpose. For example, if we take Bitcoin, which is one of the widest, uh, it is the widest adopted cryptocurrency. The, the way uh, the cryptocurrency works is if you, when you make a transaction, it has to go into the blockchain. The blockchain has to verify the transaction uh, by, by means of uh, proof of work and, and confirmations and various other things that happen behind the scenes. Depending on the load of the blockchain, that transaction may take quite a few minutes. It may take 15 minutes, may, may even take half an hour. Um, imagine you're paying for a coffee and you have to wait half an hour to confirm that your transaction has, has gone through. The, the way it currently works in the traditional financial system, because multiple players of the financial um, industry don't use the same uh, ledger or the same blockchain, um, the way it works is essentially between the multiple players in the chain, in the supply chain of you paying for coffee, uh, they have credit lines and then there's a delayed settlement. So the fact that you've paid for coffee, for example, your acquiring bank would then essentially make a promise to pay the bank of the merchant uh, who, who may be, say, the coffee shop. And... At some point later, maybe two days later, they actually get the payment, but there's this agreement of promise. Um, in Bitcoin, that is seem, simply not possible. You have to wait until the transaction's happened, and until it's happened, you don't know if it will happen. Uh, however, once it's confirmed, there's also no going back. So there's, there's no instruments for refunds as such. You can't challenge it with anybody because not, no single um, entity owns Bitcoin such so um if you for example wanted to to get a refund if the shop didn't allow that you couldn't go to the bank or to any uh institution and challenge that so i, I feel that this is where the, the the central bank digital currencies could be quite interesting because it, it might actually utilize the technology uh behind cryptocurrencies but has it, it may have that trusted uh, party entity and, and the infrastructure behind it to allow for uh, things like refunds, things like um, essentially an IOU note, a promise that, that this will get settled at some point in the future. You can grab your coffee and, and go. 
what needs to be said though is is as i mentioned quite a few times is the development of cryptocurrencies is not also standing still and uh, there are many many uh implementations some are live some are ongoing where the settlement may happen in a couple of seconds um, maybe under 15 20 seconds in which case that cryptocurrency could become an exchange medium uh, and then it's whether the the government the regulator would allow that to become an exchange medium that's so interesting <laughs> i'm i'm so interested by that um so does that mean it's not possible or it's not possible I, for bitcoin at the I, minute i think it's not possible it, it doesn't I don't think Bitcoin has been designed with that in mind. Let's put it that right. way. The, the, from the technical standpoint of view, it's already possible, uh, specifically from the cryptocurrency point of view. But without the regulation and integration with the financial sector and mass adoption, it just doesn't seem very liable, uh, very viable at the moment. Um, so I, I kind of feel that the two things need to happen at the same time. And it, it may be that the government's issuing uh, digital, digital currencies would actually accelerate that process because once once you can pay with digital pound, why couldn't you pay with digital something else? And that may be, and there are many, many projects already, um, which some of them are extremely uh, popular, which are stable coins and, and essentially you can, there are many already um, British pound link stable coins. So it's just, um, a version of British pound. And once the digital currency is there, then you could use that as an alternative too. Um, yeah, so I think from innovation technology points of view, it's definitely possible, it's, there's no problem. It's more about public's perception, government's acceptance, and and whether that would influence the the traditional financial sector enough to, um, to allow that to, to become easy for merchants and customers to use. Absolutely. And um, actually following on from that point, um, I was going to ask, do you think that cryptocurrency will ever replace government money in the future? Again, this is very much my personal view. And mm -hmm. there will be many, many different uh, viewpoints <laughs> on this from, from different people in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that there are plenty of um, groups of people who believe this is what is going to happen. Uh, and there are reasons for it. There is potentially you can build a network which is uh, much uh, far more efficient and far more fair than the uh, state-issued money. Uh, but it also has its drawbacks where um, you lose the, the monetary controls over the money supply. And um, it may be fairer, but it, it may not be easier for um, certain um, classes of people in the country. Um, so what, what is happening currently with, with COVID is essentially government is printing money um, without, without hesitation. Um, and, and this has happened, a similar thing has happened in the past in Greece, where Greece wanted to print money. They were in very bad state, but they couldn't because they were part of the Eurozone. Well, now, if, for example, Bitcoin was, was to become the de facto cryptocurrency of the world, and suddenly the UK was in a bad state, the government would not be able to do anything and would not be able to help the people of its own country, which is, um, it's a debate. It's not a good or a bad thing. It, it's whether printing that money is a good thing, nobody knows because you have to return it and, and we will eventually pay for all of, all of this um, extra money supply in, in one way or another. Uh, but, but having the 
the levers to actually do something about it, I think is very, very important for, for the governance of, of any country. So uh, this is why I, I'd say it's, it's, in my mind, quite unlikely that governments of the world would um, champion any specific cryptocurrency. Um, what may happen, however, is uh, once they start issuing central bank digital currencies, there will be a need to exchange those currencies between governments. And I wouldn't be surprised if a blockchain system would be built that interoperates between the different central bank digital currencies. And then I wouldn't be surprised if other cryptocurrencies would want to become part of that. So again, I think, I think the whole world will just become a much more efficient and fair place. And, and that means that if you wanted to transfer money to, to your family in, in Nigeria, Angola, Thailand, Estonia, where I'm from, it could happen in a matter of seconds without any fees or with very, very low fees. Compared to if you remember, say, 10, 15 years ago, everybody would, were still using Western Union. And the fees for that were extortionate, around 30%, I believe. Um, currently, there's, there's many other ways for remittance of money, which is far, far cheaper. Challenger banks like Revolut and others and many other projects. So I, I think this would be the next iteration. Uh, but I don't feel that, I don't believe that there would be one cryptocurrency that takes over the world especially if it's not government-backed or a kind of a coalition of governments-backed. Right, yeah. And you mentioned COVID, actually, and obviously COVID has had just an insane impact on our economy. Um, I was just wondering, um, what impact has this had on the world of cryptocurrency, if any? As, as, as bad as it may sound, it's, it's been fairly positive so far. Right, yeah. And I'll, I'll explain that. And um, we, again, we, we don't know what will happen in the future. And we may still be just, just kind of, the, the bad things may be waiting around the corner. Uh, we, nobody knows, I'd say. Yeah. Um, however, so far, what we have seen is there's been increased interest in cryptocurrencies. And what I... My personal view is that this, this is because of two uh, key things. Number one is um, the overall public's adoptions of alternative, um, alternative means of payments um, and, and going to, towards a cashless society. Developments like challenger banks um, and, and functions like Google Pay and Apple Pay, um, contactless payments, all of these things kind of make the people think that, that cash is not as necessary and they become already are on this path of becoming um, comfortable with digital currencies and digital um, and cryptocurrencies. Um, so I'd say this is one thing. And the other thing is, is uh, obviously what's been happening with the markets uh, in March with the financial markets. Um, obviously, a lot of the equities took a huge drop and cryptocurrencies also did, but cryptocurrencies bounced back in, in the course of days, while, while the rest of the um, indices or on the equity indices took a lot longer to bounce back. And I think a lot of people saw that as an arbitrage opportunity and they, they shifted some of their savings and some of their investments, I should say, hopefully not savings, um, some of their investments uh, from equity to crypto. And I, I think it was a very 
marginal shift, a small percentage. However, for the cryptocurrency world, being much, much smaller than equity world, it was a big effect for us. And we, we saw a huge increase of interest um, from both institutional and retail investors. Um, there's a very interesting uh, observation that, that I've, I've discussed with many people around uh, within the cryptocurrency industry was when in the US, the, uh, the US government was issuing um, money to people's bank accounts, uh, dropping money directly into people's bank accounts. Across all of the major exchanges, there was a, an increase of uh, crypto cryptocurrency purchases. So um, th this kind of highlights the fact that money, monetary policy intervention by the government doesn't always do what it's supposed to do. Coming back to previous topics we discussed, um, and I think in this case, the US government wanted people to spend uh, that money to kickstart the economy. And a lot of the people, rather than spending, they, they thought that they would rather invest it somewhere, whether that's equity or cryptocurrency. And, and we, we received a proportion of that. I, I'd say business-wise, it's been positive. Um, on a personal note, on, obviously, we, we've been working from home from uh, March as well, like everybody else. Uh, we've had a couple of... Um, um, opportunities of trying to get back into the office, but uh, we're pretty much back to working from home again, and uh, we don't know when this will change. So this is quite challenging. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, that was actually my next question I was going to ask. Um, how has it affected you and your company? How has COVID affected you? Well, what I've seen is um, a very interesting shift. Um, the, we, we have to communicate with, with various types of clients, customers, partners, etc. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of them come from a traditional financial background where a face-to-face -face meeting used to be a must um, so that you, you essentially form that bond and, and you, you can trust the, other, the person on the other side of the table. Um, people had to adapt very, very quickly. And, and whereas before, nobody would think of you seriously if you tried to do um, um, Zoom calls and, and you never met the person face to face. Uh, within, I'd say, by the end of March, the whole industry adapted to to that shift very swiftly, and um, all the networking, business development, and partnership negotiation negotiation activities carried on. So on, on that front, I think it, it's a great advancement for the whole of humanity because big proportions of of populations and and workforce thought that they had to be in the office, and now they realise that they don't. And, and this will have some of its own implications with regards to potential property prices, especially for commercial properties, offices, etc. Places like central London, um, New York, and, and other, um, other huge cities where people are suddenly realizing they don't have to have a small apartment in central London. They may be able to afford a, a nice house some, somewhere in the countryside and, and come to the office once a month or a couple of times a month. So there's, there's been some permanent shifts, I would say. Um, for, for us internally in the business, we are an internet-based business. We have always been uh, very well spread out around the world. And we, we've always been used to working with uh, remote presence. So it, it's, not really, it's not really been a challenge for us at all. Uh, as far as I remember, the, it took us two days to get the whole office prepared, the whole company worldwide to prepare to work uh, remote for the next three oh, months. Yeah. Um, and it, everybody was pretty much ready. That's amazing. And I guess 
as a conclusive question, I wanted to ask you what you think is the future of the cryptocurrency industry? So I, I think the next couple of years are going to be very, very interesting. Um, there's, first of all, I, I'm a big proponent of mass adoption because the, the regulation is just around the corner. The banks are finally opening open up their gates and they will have to, once the regulation kicks in, they will have no choice. Um, and actually there will be no distinction between cryptocurrencies and say FX and, and other instruments and equities, uh, bonds and stuff like that. Um, in, in terms of, uh, there the wouldn't be any reasons to, um, uh, to have a distinction, let's put it that way. So, so this will, if you look at the percentage of cryptocurrencies, um, of the assets or volumes in cryptocurrencies compared to other um, instruments like, like money, like cash, or like equities or bonds, um, it, it's still a very, very small proportion. So once this happens, then a huge, the, the industry will grow tremendously, basically. Um, and, and at the same time, there's, there's more and more classes of institutional investors who are getting into the industry. Um, I'd, I'd say a year ago, it was mostly specialist crypto hedge funds. Um, and, and now generic uh, hedge funds are investing already. Banks are starting to invest into cryptocurrencies. And for me, um, a personal win would be when uh, pension funds would be allowed to invest into cryptocurrencies. Um, the, the difference there is a very, very important difference. If a hedge fund and say a private banking where you, you in those both situations, uh, the, the entity, the institution is investing money of high net worth, um, financially educated, financially savvy people. So they, they can do what they want and they can invest into very high risk instruments. For a pension fund to invest into something, they're investing other people's pensions. So it has to be a very sound, risk-free or very, very limited risk decision. And I, I don't think we're far away from that. We're probably a couple of years away from pension, pension funds getting in. The, the volumes of, of money pension funds hold are one of the biggest um, across the different groups. So again, that would increase the volumes by, by many, many factors. And that means the industry will keep on growing. So um, that is just from the institutional space. And then there's also the consumer side where, as we discussed, mass adoption, et cetera, if these things were to happen. So it, it could, be, could be a very much an exponential growth in the next couple of years. And <laughs> one thing I forgot to mention is all of the technological advances that keep happening in the background. So Absolutely. You, kind of, you kind of have a very, very explosive mixture uh, that that's, um, and for example, if you look at um, distributed finance, the what's called DeFi currently, it, it's a very new concept where uh, financial institutions are programmed as, as, as a program, as a computer program, as a smart contract. So uh, in, and, and it still remains to be clear whether that would be possible in, in for wider um, adopters but in theory technologically you can create a bank which is just a program that runs by itself and isn't governed by anybody apart from the people who invest money into that bank who deposit the money which is in some ways very very similar to a building society uh, but with with a much higher efficiency of operation 
Um, it's very early days, however, and DeFi is extremely risky at this point in time, but the technology behind it is extremely interesting. And, and I feel that the combination of these things happening um, can, can lead to um, results that we don't, don't um, accept at the moment. Um, I'm trying to remember, I had a, I had a very interesting, very uh, catchy saying that, that we, when we think about progress, we always, we always overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term. So I, I think if you ask me what will happen in six months, uh, it probably wouldn't feel like much has changed. But in five years, we may be living in a very different world and we won't even realize how it happened to us. Mm. And following on from that, I guess, uh, are there any existing or emerging technologies that are key to the adoption and the um, progress of cryptocurrency? I think it's not about technology. I, I think technology is already way ahead. It's okay. about it's about regulation. It's about rules. It's about people who make decisions and governments uh, to to know what to do with this technology advances. And how do you? Um, the the thing is, it, when technology develops so fast, it's it's a risk in itself to allow that technology to be widespread for for the government's regulators because a lot of the people would um, unfortunately may be um, the, the victims of some wrongdoers as well who, who may dress up this new technology as, as a godsend, but actually they may be stealing money and have Ponzi schemes. And then we've, we've seen that with uh, cryptocurrencies, it's just a means of these schemes. They happen in any industry, in any business, whenever there's an opportunity, whenever there's a hype around these things. So I, I'd say, I don't think we need to advance technology that much. I think technology is already way ahead and it will keep going uh, faster and faster. Um, what we need to advance is, is um, people's perception, regulation and interoperability with other financial um, sectors. That's fascinating because a lot of the times it isn't that way around, is it? It's uh, the technology that maybe needs to be advanced a little bit um, in other sectors, but for this yeah. for this case it's the it's the people it's you know like you said regulation <laughs> and understand maybe um understanding people maybe don't even know what cryptocurrency is so hopefully like this podcast can be a bit more of a bit more of a message and people can understand because you've explained it so well and you you know and I, I understand it so i'm sure hopefully everyone else out there can understand it too um and, so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely um and just as a final question is there anything else you'd like to add um, anything else you want to talk about today? Um, nothing that comes to mind immediately. I'd say it's, it's, been, it's been very nice to be on the show with you. And uh, thank you for being such a pleasant host and not bombarding me with too many controversial questions. I, I hope I, I give um, well-weighted opinions. And, and, uh, and I'm sorry if my view is biased, but this is my view. Um, I hope it's been interesting for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I found it very fascinating. Um, I'm sure the listeners will love it as well. Yeah, so thank you very much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah.